we're doing it. We're in it. What's going on? Welcome in, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Mr. Zed on Instagram. I'm on Instagram tonight. Um, I don't have clips and drops to play. Just me speaking and rambling. Zezzy's in the chat. Hope all is well, brother. Um, keep crushing out there in the Rockies. <laughs> out there and up there in the rocks. Um, girlfriend's in the chat. Hola, hola. O7s. Bear 7s in the chat. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Welcome in. Buenos noches. I'm Sean Corey. Find all my links, all my content, all my stuff over at SeanVPlanet.com. Follow me on all the social media sites, Instagram, TikTok, Telegram, Gab, Baritaria Times app, all the stuff, at Sean V. Planet. Make sure to subscribe to my channels, YouTube, Rumble. Um, I'm going to start posting more. I'm going to start posting more clips and more full streams on TV.Gab. So follow me on TV.Gab and follow me on Gab. Um, and Rumble, DLive, YouTube for all the replays, DLive is the live stream place obviously um trovo for now until they kick me off twitter is streaming live now i guess i'm on twitter if you have my not sean v planet twitter account and yeah that's right Zezzy, i'm sorry uh, <laughs> i'm sorry um yeah just find me on all the things subscribe on all the things and yeah help me out um, i'm gonna try to get on odyssey this week i gotta figure out how that works with Restream, and then I'm gonna try to get myself up on Odyssey for the live streams, because um, that seems like a better long-term solution and option for me. That's not YouTube and DLive and Trovo, <laughs> who are known to be uh, grabbly and censorers. You know, um, yeah. Just tell all your friends um, and your enemies about me and about my stream. <laughs> Maybe they can, you know, get educated here. Um, maybe be motivated to finally pick up their Bibles and get on with becoming the righteous person that God designed them to be. Um, you know, or maybe just enjoy some of my nonsense along the way. Um, if maybe just that, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for the support. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Um, tonight we are talking about morality, right? Let's tackle it. Let's get into it. <laughs> Morality and ethics. Um, both how philosophers and like secular-minded people, those with secular worldviews, think about it and discuss it and know it. And also what it means in like the true biblical sense and how our reality is shaped by our response to it. So to start off, let's lay out some of the like academia definitions. And then we'll dive into some of the popular ethical questions. Um, set of Acantus, my dude, what's going on? Um, yeah, all the homies in the chat, love it, appreciate it. Send your comments, send your questions. If you're here on Instagram, do that too. I'm not always on Instagram during these. Um, so Mr. Zed and whoever else is here, send your comments, your questions, whatever. I'll get to them. But for now, the academic, academia definitions of morality is it is about life. It concerns right and wrong actions and good and bad persons or character. In the normative sense, morality refers to a code of conduct that would be accepted by anyone who meets certain intellectual and volitional conditions, almost always including the condition of being rational. 
that a person meets these conditions is typically expressed by saying that the person counts as a moral agent. Morality consists mostly of our moral judgments, principles, values, and theories. And ethics is the careful philosophical examination of them. Yeah. And we're going to tackle four, pretty much the four main ethical debates, you know. Um, I was a philosophy major until I dropped out of college, so, and two of the courses I, I studied were about ethics. I really liked ethics. At the time, I was very secular-minded and worldly, you know, <laughs> a non-believer. And so I loved to really get into all the discussions at, like, a college, at two different colleges I went to where I studied it, a community college and a four-year university, and getting in debates and arguments with people because it's so widespread. Um, if you're like a non-believer, if you're if you don't believe that the Bible is truth, then ethics is so insane. It's just debates. You know, it's literally just debates. It's everyone's own point of view with these um, different theories and philosophies, and it basically boils down to like four basic, you know, popular ethical questions. It can obviously branch off and get more complex along the way, but we're going to kind of tackle those four major ethical questions tonight. Um, I'm going to kind of cover it as like how the secularists debate it and view it, and then also how, you know, those who believe in the Bible view and understand these questions and how we would answer these questions. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Let's tackle some of the more popular and useful ethical questions of all time, really. I mean, this has been happening for <laughs> likely forever. <laughs> <laughs> likely since the fall, um, but at least for like the last two, three thousand years, um, these debates have been raging, and the responses have varied, and we're going to just generally um, tackle how the secular worldview covers these questions, and again, how Christians answer them as well. So popular ethical question number one, and answer these in the chat along the way, or if you're watching this as a replay or listening to this as a replay, hit me up in the comment section or my DMs if you have different answers or debates with my answers, criticisms of my answers. Pop, popular ethical question number one, why do we need to be moral people? Why is there a need to be moral? Morality has many purposes, like enabling us to resolve conflicts of interests fairly, developing certain kinds of positive character, promoting human happiness and well-being, and enabling society to survive and thrive, among others. Those without a biblical foundation of truth are left to seek their own knowledge, attain their own goals, find their own food, shelter, water, security, power, wealth, and other resources to survive and thrive. When people reject their creator, when they reject the logos and the order of the universe, they are left alone to seek pleasures for themselves attain valuable stuff, and continue their own lives for as long as possible. Which results in what Thomas Hobbes called, quote, a state of nature, common phrase, a state of nature, where there are no common ways of life, no laws or moral rules which are enforced, no justice or injustice, for these concepts lack application. There are no reliable expectations about other people's behavior, except that they will follow their own inclinations and perceived interests, tending to be arbitrary, violent, and capricious. <laughs> I always messed that word up pronouncing it. Capricious, capricious. 
Without a moral standard, without the foundation of truth and law that is established in the Bible, people will inevitably resort back to behaving like nothing more than animals, who seek pleasure and avoid pain, who live for right now and not for what comes next. They do whatever it takes to continue surviving and avoiding death. This state of nature will always end in a war of all against all. A war of all against all. There might be some complexity or some rituals, some pleasantries and politeness along the way, um, but without a solid moral foundation, without an established knowledge of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, human beings are reduced to a state of lawlessness and chaos where might makes right and selfishness becomes virtue. Without a moral code agreed upon by the people living alongside one another, there can be no compromise. And therefore, there can never truly be security, happiness, uh, power, prosperity, and peace. All of the wealth and values on earth would be temporary or non-existent entirely. When there is no law, there is neither right nor wrong, justice nor injustice. Just chaos, destruction, and death. A select few might be better off in that state of nature. Those who are the strongest or just like generally the smartest during their limited time here in this place. But the vast, major, the vast majority will be better off in a situation of mutual cooperation and oath-keeping. And it may turn out that some people cheat, renege on their contracts, lie, steal, cheat, etc. But so long as the adherence is widespread by most people most of the time, they will almost all flourish in obedience to moral law. An established measurement that is unchanging, universal, useful, and based on reality. And not a set of arbitrary rules or opinions that can be changed over time to suit the desires and wishes of populations of people. So again, why do we need morality? <laughs> why do we need morality after all of that? Because without it, existence, you know, simply put, without it, existence would be an unbearable hell in which life was solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, claims Hobbes. And so that is why secularists debate it. They debate what morality should be, even though they can never find, they can never actually come to solid, irrefutable conclusions. They don't have a objective truth. Everything is relative and debatable. And so without it, <laughs> without that, um, it ends up in constant debate, constant changing of the opinions. Um, the subjectivity makes change constant. Um, the whims of the people at the time determine what morality is and what good and what evil is. But in the biblical sense, um, if we fail to know and obey God's laws and instead seek to live according to our own wants and our own desires, we will suffer the painful, destructive, deadly consequences. We will not be protected in this life or beyond it by the one that we choose to rebel against. There are perfect rules laid out for us to teach us, guide us, and maintain order among us during our time in this place. And by rejecting them, we are choosing to reject our creator in order to worship what has been created. Simply put, without true morality, without objective moral values, 
we will suffer the consequences, not just in the here and now, as Hobbes writes about, as the materialists and the atheists and the secular-minded people um, talk about and complain about and debate about, not just in the here and now will we suffer the consequences, um, someone like, as someone like Hobbes would claim, but in the eternity that is to follow. You can deny that if you want, but <laughs> good luck if there is, you know. Um, and again, go back next, go, not again, but go back to last week's stream where I talked about rebellion and covered a lot of that. Um, that last part of what I just talked about, the biblical worldview about the need for morality. And what happens when we choose to reject it, when we choose to rebel against God, when we choose to worship the created and not the creator. Um I did a whole stream on it last week. Live stream 67 called Rebellion. So popular ethical question number two. And again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Vegan Bear, Mr. Zed, Zezzy, Future Homestead, um, Set of Acantis. Y'all are all amazing. Popular ethical question number two. What is good and what is evil? To the secular world, good and evil are very abstract concepts. For good to exist, oh yeah, <laughs> hello Vegan Bear in the chat, in the Instagram. To the secular world, good and evil are very abstract concepts. For good to exist, there must logically be evil. To have something, there must also be an op opposing position or an absence of that thing. From those with secular worldviews, whatever is beneficial to general mankind is considered good, and whatever is not in the interest of the general mankind is considered evil, which makes any and all actions or thoughts relative, based upon one's perception and judgment. And without an acknowledgement of God, His laws, and the order created and maintained by Him, there can be no universal, objective, complete unquestionable stance on what is good and what is deemed to be evil. Good and evil depends on the context and results, while, in, while an action, thought, or person can be considered good in a certain situation, the same action or, or person may be labeled bad in another situation. An example being that a fire produces warmth during the winter and is thus deemed a good occurrence. Fire is good, right? It keeps us warm. Until that fire spreads and begins burning down the village and taking lives, when it becomes something evil. That same fire can then become something evil when it's deemed bad. And that's relative, that's subjective. To the secular world that views things like this, you know, the secular world deems good and evil as just judgment-based situational and relative. When a godless person finds pleasure out of something, he calls it good. And if it brings him misery, he calls it evil. There is no greater complexity. There is no bigger meaning in the happening and the events. There is no purpose for what occurs. It's just whatever is happening that's, that's pleasuring, <laughs> that's beneficial to my life right now is good. Whatever is bad to my harm to my life right now is bad, is evil. Zezzy in the chat said, and God saw that it was good before any evil ever existed. 
It's almost like you read my mind. <laughs> it's almost like you read my mind. Because my next paragraph here is, however, Christians see a lot of problems with this relative worldview and know that evil is a very real thing that spreads and festers when people are not aware of its existence, deny the threat that it poses, or excuse it away as something harmless or even claim it to be something beneficial. C.S. Lewis once stated, whenever you find a man who says he doesn't believe in a real right and wrong, you will find the same man going back on this a moment later. And unlike, and so here you go, Zezzy, unlike the secular logical definitions, we know that good can exist without evil, as God existed before and will exist after all the evil that takes place inside of his creation. There is good, there is the perfect good, which is God, and inside of his creation is where evil exists. God's ways and actions may not always make sense to us or fit what we would call good, like on our own, but we can trust that his definition of good is better, and he is always operating out of his perfect character. If we don't like something that happens, something that doesn't make sense, we call it we call it evil. <laughs> Let me just rephrase that. If we don't like something that happens, that doesn't make it necessarily evil, right? It's not up to our opinions about what's good and what's evil. It's about objectively what is good and objectively what is evil. If we don't like something that happens, that doesn't make it good. That doesn't make it bad if we don't like it. Um, and that doesn't make it necessarily good or necessarily evil. It just means that we don't see things clearly yet. We don't fully understand the purpose of what is taking place. Like when God used all that happened to Joseph in Egypt to bring about something good in the end. God finds a way to make everything good in the end. In our short lives, <laughs> he finds a way to make things good. And in the entire existence of our realm, he finds a way to make things good in the end. So again, what is good and what is evil? A.W. Tozer states very concisely in his book, The Attributes of God, all things as they move toward God are beautiful and they are ugly as they move away from him. All evil is simply what takes place when things are removed from God. If anything finds satisfaction in anything other than God and his right ways, it is evil. All that is existing absent God's truth and love. The evil in hurting others is that they are made in the image of God, and it is an act devaluing something that he created. The evil in a human heart is seeing God in all his splendor and still deciding that something else is better. When you place value on your own desires above the desires of the one who made you. The original sin the first evil act was when Adam and Eve knew God, but chose to seek satisfaction in the fruit anyways. This resulted in a separation from God spiritually for the rest of their family lineage. Because of this original evil, we are born with sin in our hearts, an absence of God and his righteousness. And until we begin to seek God, his truth, his love, and seek to genuinely be reunited with him spiritually, we will suffer and die with that evil in our hearts. Pioneer Zoomer, what's going on, brother? It's 07. <laughs> Hope all is well. 
two more popular ethical questions here. This one um, is probably the two biggest and most meaningful, right? Leave the best for last. Popular ethical question. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? To pragmatists, it is bringing more value to humans. To liberals in the classical sense, it is defending individual liberty. To Confucians, it is to fulfill your duties to others. To determinists, it is accepting that everything is predetermined. To solipsists, it is whatever you know it to be, since only you exist. To hedonists, it is having pleasure now. To Epicureanists, it is Epicureans, it is freeing yourself from pain. To Platonists, it is acquiring maximum knowledge. To Aristotelians, it is being a good person. To Nihilists, it is doing as you wish, as life has no meaning. To Absurdists, it is stopping trying to find meaning entirely and just living. To existentialists, it is making decisions and being positive. To subjectivists, it is different for each individual person. And the list just goes on and on. So on, so on, so on. Um, in general, to all those with a secular worldview, those who do not put their faith in God and who reject the reality of an afterlife, the meaning of life is to seek pleasure and avoid pain pain, to put it simply, to achieve great feats, have fun, and enjoy this life as much as possible. The meaning of this life can be objective, subjective, or entirely meaningless to those without God. But their meaning is found rooted only in this life, this body, this experience. And they have no higher calling to aspire to greatness beyond this beyond this life they have. They live for now and they do not consider what occurs afterwards. They rely on their physical, worldly, sensational experiences and deny entirely the spiritual, the non-visible, the uncalculable, the nothingness that lies all around and in us. They discard that entirely. They deny that they have souls that will exist, exist after this body stops working. And their focus is on what happens here and now until that fateful day. Their meaning for being here is self-serving. It is temporary. It is arbitrary. It is debatable. It is fleeting. It is unknown. It is subjective, relative, and it is basically meaningless. Their meaning is meaningless. Their meaning is that there is no real meaning. They are just creations living in creation, denying the existence of a creator and a possibility of being reunited with that creator someday through faith and good works. The meaning of life, according to the Bible, is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. We are the beloved children of God, created by our Heavenly Father to reflect his glory, walk in his love, and do his will in our lives. We know that this life is only the beginning for our souls, that after our earthly deaths, there exists an eternal existence, and that, what we, that, 
that what we do in this life we have been given now will determine what happens to our soul in that state beyond us. There is something bigger, greater, and more meaningful than our current lives that God has put in the human heart. Understanding this and connecting to it motivates one to pursue a higher calling. And even when we can't understand what is going on entirely, or even at all, he is still always in control, and we trust in that fact. This life is a gift from God, and we are to enjoy that. But we are also to give our reverence, our faith, and our obedience to him, because he created us for the purpose here and now, and our judgment afterwards is sure. The meaning of life for God's children is not comfort in this world now, nor escape from suffering now, nor the avoidance of loss now, nor the maximizing of physical pleasures now, nor the amassing of riches now, nor the achievement of any fame now, nor the right to any health now nor that we would be treated with respect and justice now. These, those are not the meaning of life, regardless of what the secular world and acclaimed philosophers will say. The meaning of life is to know God and to enjoy God and to reflect some of the beauty of God as we know him in Christ. And one day to see him perfectly and enjoy being with him eternally. That is our meaning of this life. I have been paying penance for my typo. Excellent argument, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, Desi. Paying, pay, she wrote Gad instead of God. Never heard of no Gad, but I know God. <laughs> Paraplegic in the chat, what's going on? Bra Bear, what's going on, my dude? J Twist 410, what's going on? Jab 471 with the follow. Thank you. Fritos 3 just says France. I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> right on. France. Viva la France. <laughs> right on. Um. <laughs> Viva la France. So the last popular ethical question. So, of course, everyone asks, what is our meaning? And, of course, the thing that follows after that is, what is our purpose? What is our meaning and then what are we supposed to do about it, right? What is our purpose in this life? The purpose of one's life is the central motivating aims of it, right? The purpose is the central motivating aims. The reasons that people get up in the morning and seek to continue on living and not choosing death. Purpose guides life decisions, influences behavior, shapes goals, offers a sense of direction, and stems from the meaning of one's life. So once you find your meaning, you will then discover your purpose. How are you going to carry out what you are meant to do? What is the motivation for carrying out what you are meant to do? Since the secular worldview is a religious worldview in which Man is the measure, which means mankind is the ultimate norm by which truth and values are to be determined. According to secular humanism, all reality and life center upon human beings. Where man acts as God, 
as they don't believe he exists. The materialists, the naturalists, the humanists, the atheists, the pagans, and the Satanists all deny God's existence or just his authority. They might, they might not deny his existence, but they will deny his authority, which is why they're not believers. And thus they live according to their own wants and their own desires. They choose to live and seek pleasure in their limited time here in this place. And their purposes vary depending on their particular environments, their cultures, their tribes, and their own individual interests. They don't believe that life has meaning, that their existence is randomly occurring and closed, in that their entire being will end when their bodies stop functioning. And these non-believers do not believe that anything exists after this life, which was not designed or maintained by a divine creator. So the meaning of it all is self-serving, limited, and changes based on their own desires. Without a clearly defined meaning, there can really be no clearly defined purpose, other than seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. That's just a simple way to put it. Their purpose is to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Human beings essentially revert back to being animalistic, doing whatever is necessary to survive and constantly avoiding the death that inevitably awaits them at some point in the near future. Their purpose in life without any sort of meaning and higher aspirations beyond this can really only be selfish behaviors and measured responses to the environment around them to continue on their own legacy, their own status, their own feelings, and their own longevity. Without God, one lacks purpose that aspires to be greater, to seek beyond and above their own lives and seek something higher than themselves. They live for now, and they don't invest in their forever after. They indulge and pleasure themselves right here, instead of seeking to enter into the eternal bliss that is heaven. So as Christians, how should we live, right? What is our purpose as believers? To be fruitful and multiply, to seek a reunification of our individual souls to our true Lord, to reestablish a spiritual connection between the Creator and what He created inwardly, reconnecting our souls to the source of all life, to care for God's creation, guarding over it, maintaining it, and leading it all back into righteousness following the fall, to love our Creator and serve Him, to love our God and to love our neighbors, to respect and cherish our Maker and all that He has made to seek what is good, true, and beautiful with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength at all times, and promote what is good. Or in other words, to spread God to everywhere and everyone, everything that is still lacking a spiritual connection to Him. We are called to do many things, and our purpose is to carry out the mission that we were designed and created for, to live this life our Maker gave to us well, and to seek Him in all His right ways at all times 
and to lead all of the rest of his creation with us back into the direction of our creator. Before you knew God, you had many great experiences and journeys, but your heart remained restless until you found rest in that relationship with your savior. You could never save yourself. You could never save yourself. But when you found rest in your savior, that is the goal. That's the mission for you. And then you must spread that outward to others. Your true purpose in this life is a relationship with Jesus and making sure other people also find that relationship with Jesus. Just as a car thirsts for gasoline to run, the only thing that will quench your soul and give you fulfillment is Jesus Christ. He is the living water you need. You were designed and created to have a relationship with God through faith in and love for Christ. And you were put here in this place right now to seek him, know him, believe in him, follow him, serve him, and worship him. You were made to have a holy, righteous relationship with your Lord and Savior. But you must overcome yourself and make that choice. He is always waiting. He is always waiting for you to make that choice and seek him. Pioneer Zoomer says, great monologue. Without God, life is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll deny it all they want. They'll come up with elaborate excuses and um, explanations for it. But without something higher than yourself, um, there is no real meaning to your life. It's just this. It's just filling your ghoul hole with food, <laughs> making your skin feel good, um, and doing it for as long as possible. And then it's over. And then that's it, right? You either enter into nothingness or you enter into eternity and you better hope that your creator uh, <laughs> has mercy on your soul, you know. Um, but yeah, without God, this life is meaningless. They'll deny it all they want, but that's the case. And Pioneer Zoomer says, the idea of an afterlife can have a big impact on people's mindset. Good to hear someone talking about it. Yeah, it's important to talk about <laughs> the idea of an afterlife. I mean, even Christians don't, a lot of Christians, maybe not most, not all, not all, not all, but a good amount of Christians don't truly believe in an afterlife. You know, they wouldn't be so scared of death if they did. If they were so confident and they had a genuine connection to God, if they were quote unquote saved, as I always hear in the South, you know, I've been saved. I was saved at age eight. I was saved. I've been saved for 25 years. I've been saved. If your soul has been saved, then there is no reason to fear death at all for any reason, <laughs> right? Because your death would only be the beginning of an eternity with God. <laughs> it's not like you should seek out your death, but like if death happened to you, why would you be scared of that? Like the, there should be nothing but confidence in your heart if you truly believed in an afterlife and you truly believe that you were saved. You can believe in an afterlife and fear the judgment. That's one thing. You're fearing death because you kind of deep down know that you're an unrepentant sinner and you're scared of what is going to happen at judgment. But if you are truly in connection with God, if you are a spiritually connected being who's been reunited with your creator, um, there should be zero reason why you're scared of death at all. 
<laughs> so those afraid of death, those terrified of the consequences of this life right now, here and now, ending, um, I'm just going to go on a limb and say they're not Christians. I like to not do that and um, criticize people's faith or whatever, but when you look around and see people who are scared of the afterlife, <laughs> you can be rest assured that they're not truly picking up their cross and carrying it every day. They are not truly seeking Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They are not truly having a spiritual connection to their Father. Um, yet, at least. Yet is the key word there. Because they always can. And he's always waiting for us to return to him. But yeah, the idea of an afterlife it can have a big impact on people's mindset. Yeah. Because if, you're, if your eyes are on eternity, there should be no fear of death in the here and now at all. Yeah, sad but true, says Pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sad but true. But then again, they need to hear that so that they can start questioning. They need to they need to get out of their little comfort zone, get out of their bubble, get out of their false sense of life and their delusions, you know, and really examine where they are and start seeking God. If they're comfortable in their fear, uh, you know, someone needs to shake them. <laughs> Something needs to happen that kind of shakes them and wakes them up, you know, gets them motivated to start seeking God and not just continue on in their comforts and their pleasures and their false sense of security in the here and now, you know. Yeah. Right on. I thought I just heard some Jesse Lee Peterson. Not all, not all, not all, but most. Amazing, says Vegan Bear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've listened to so much Jesse Lee Peterson that I like, <laughs> even when I'm not trying, I use his, his vernacular, his slang, his words, you know. I say amazing way too much, and at first it was kind of a joke I did, now I just literally say it all the time, and um, <laughs> I, I like it, some people don't like it. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Not all, not all, not all, but most. And I wouldn't even say most, but just a good amount of Christians, and at least in America. If you want to go back a few streams to, what was it, 63 or 64 on my channel where I talked about China, I mean, Chinese Christians are crushing. <laughs> Chinese Christians are crushing, man. You want to talk about like true believers. Um, some of those people in, per in genuine persecution with, with nothing in this life are some of the people that grow closest to God and trusting in God. Um, it's easy. And by default, you know, it's easier to fixate your eyes on eternity when you don't have anything in this life. Like if you're in a jail cell, if you're in a foxhole in a war, you know, if your life's about to end, it's much easier for you to fixate your eyes and focus on eternity and really, truly, genuinely seek God. And when you're living in America where everything's so comfortable and so easy, um, it's easy to drift away from God. Start worshiping false idols and start relying on yourself, your own understanding, seeking your own routes in life, you know, it becomes easier to drift into this this secular worldview, this secular nonsense, um, and become evil, quote unquote, where you're drifting away from God. The farther you drift away from God, the more evil you become. The closer you are to God, the more you're following God and seeking Him and heading into the righteous direction, the good, the more goodness you're going to have, the more good you're going to experience and know and be. And the more you start relying on yourself, the more you start loving this world and being, you know, not merely in the world, but of the world, you're going to become evil. You're going to become lost. You're going to become damned. And, you know, may God have mercy on your soul if that's the way you go out. Um, 
But yeah. Vegan Bear says, Western Christians are soft due to a lack of persecution. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> simply put, I, maybe I shouldn't just ramble. Maybe Vegan Bear should just <laughs> put it all simply out here for you. Um, yeah, that's true. A lack of persecution makes you makes you weak. Victory defeats you. <laughs> Comfort and ease destroys you. Makes you soft. So that's that. <laughs> We've talked about all these concepts before on my stream. If you're a follower, if this isn't your first time or first couple streams, but yeah, that's simply put. That's just what happens. Is those those with those who have had victories, those who are, you know, in in the victory column, the good call, the easy life column, the pleasure column, the rich, the fancy, the the soft life, the downstream life. Um, those people drift away from God because they start focusing on this life. They start focusing on the comforts and the pleasures they have in the here and now, the stuff they have here and now. And those without, those facing persecution. Those who are lacking <laughs> health, wealth, stuff, security, it's much easier for those people to fixate their eyes on God and trust in Him and know that the eternity that awaits us after this life is going to be better, is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's easier for them. Um, Pioneer Zoomer in the chat says, I know there are a lot of problems with Matt Walsh. But he wrote, he wrote a book a while back called Church of Cowards. I thought he did a good job of explaining how much tougher non-Western Christians are. Right on. Yeah, I go back and forth with Matt Walsh. Um, he has some good takes. He seems generally like he, like he wants to be a good man, a good father, and do the right thing. But he also, yeah. <laughs> As you said, there are a lot of problems with Matt Walsh, yeah. Um, I just don't trust anyone associated with the Daily Wire by default, you know. <laughs> by default. Like, you have to be uh, taking some tickets and selling a little bit of your soul to be working for them and um, not being fired. <laughs> you're probably not actually speaking the truth, you know, if you're um, working for that organization. Right on. Yeah, keep the chats coming. I'll get to them again here. One more part, and then we're going to wrap up. I'll talk about your stuff. Um, this, I'm just going to read this, is a post on ChristianityETC.org. I've never heard of them before, but they have this really good take on morality for Christians. It uh, just perfectly explains and summarizes morality in general for believers and how to practice it correctly. So I just wanted to read it here. Morality for a Christian is the application of God's laws regarding a person's private and public behavior. In seeking to live a moral life, a Christian tries to obey the rules for his or her personal behavior that have been decreed by God and recorded in the Bible. In spite of all of the clearly written and proclaimed statements of moral law, individual Jews and Christians and non-members of these biblically-based religious communities have found it to be impossible to live in accord with these laws. No one has the ability to be as good as he or she knows that he or she should be. 
Although most people have a basic understanding of what is right and what is wrong, most of us cannot be consistently right in how we obey God's laws, as well as those that have been established by various governmental authorities. The psalmist of ancient Israel said that all have turned aside from seeking to do good and from seeking God. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one, in Psalm, Psalm uh, 14.3. Paul quotes this in his teaching letter to the Romans in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and he adds this comment to include, believers all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All human beings live and have lived on a battlefield between the righteous God and his rebellious angel Lucifer, or Satan. And this battle between God's righteous will and Satan's rebellious desires goes on day after day in everyone's lives. No one likes to admit that he or she is a rebel against God, that he or she is a sinner. Individuals have gone to a great have gone to a great deal of effort in the study of God's moral laws to find loopholes in these laws that will enable them to excuse their immoral behavior and attitudes. They have written new interpretations of these laws and defined exceptions to them. The moral life is neither easily defined nor demonstrated, even for believers. Jesus engaged in a lot of discussions regarding the laws of God and personal morality with the lawyers of his people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were constantly challenging him in regard to his interpretation of some of these laws and why his accepted disciples did not follow them more fully. In one situation, a Pharisee, who was an expert in these laws, asked Jesus as he addressed him, as teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? That is Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, And in 37 through 40, Jesus replied with this answer, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This really simplifies the rules for morality, God's laws for moral behavior. Just love God completely and love everyone else as much as you love yourself. So the moral life is to be lived in love, and immorality is not living with such love for God and for others. A life lived in accord with these, with these two laws would be a perfect demonstration of morality. In the first place, it must be done with a person's sincere confession of his or her sin and his or her inability to obey God's laws by his or her own efforts. Such confession and repentance demonstrate one's acceptance of God's will and love. With the acceptance of God's will and love comes his forgiving grace and his gift of the Holy Spirit. It is God's grace 
faithfully trusting in his goodwill and surrender to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that enables any Christian or believer in Jesus to practice morality, to live a moral life. This is not a matter of regularly practicing traditional religious rituals of worship or even service to others, but it is a matter of being born by the Spirit of God. Love God, love each other, and know that you are being born in the Spirit of God when that gift is given to you, when the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to you after (laughs) genuine repentance and genuine submission to God. Um, Right on. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, Hope I got to everything. (laughs) I'm no expert. I I did it. I did like, like, um, like four or five classes of philosophy before I dropped out of college. I kind of know some stuff. I have my textbooks still. <laughs> That's why I was kind of pulling some of this from that secular-minded worldview. It's also kind of like insane, like, whoa, really diving back into these like very secular-minded people talking about stuff. <laughs> it was like, man, you guys don't get it. <laughs> you're so smart. You have, You're so good at reciting smart sounding things and like being intellectual and knowing your history and like repeating things and um you know checking your sources and stuff citing your sources and peer reviewing each other and all that it's like you're so smart in the head but you're so lacking in the heart you know you can just feel it coming off the pages of these like extremely secular minded like professors and academics um it's jarring <laughs> it's jarring going back now and reading those books when i used to read them and be like like a little stoner pothead kid in college being just like, whoa, like nihilism's so deep, bro. <laughs> whoa, nihilism's dope, bro. Yeah, that's totally right. And now you go back and read it and you're just like, man, <laughs> man, you guys don't get it, you know. <laughs> you're so like worldly head smart and you just are so blind to reality at the same time. It's pretty jarring. So I hope we did that justice kind of talking about the secular worldview versus the biblical worldview on some of the kind of main themes and debates of ethics and morality in the philosophical world. Um, Going to be back next week. We're talking about uh, sexual immorality because it's live stream 69. You know, I could not talk about (laughs) that. I wanted to lead into that with this deep dive into morality so we can get into like sexual immorality and why that matters. So it's almost kind of like a part two next week. That'll be next Monday night. So again, uh, we've got some chats coming in here at the end. Craig Anderson, what's going on? In the chat says, living fully invested in now and forever. My treasure is in my neighbors and family and my relationship with God creator. Since March 2020, I have known I was made for this time. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in everything I said, it's like still, that's a good point because you're not 
discarding this life, right? You're not giving up on this life. Your life here now has meaning <laughs> and purpose, meaning and purpose. And that is to live for the glory of God and to aspire to something greater. Um, it doesn't mean abandon this life and just get ready for the afterlife. You know, it doesn't mean commit suicide. It doesn't mean seeking death, like doing risky things that's going to bring about your death because you're just so ready for the eternity. No, as you've said, you were born for this time with meaning, with purpose. You were designed and created for these battles that you're facing. You were designed and put into your body, into your family, into your environment, into your country, into your language, your tribe, your culture for a reason. Um, God has a reason for you to be here during this time, doing the things you're doing and walking forward into the destiny that is awaiting you. Yes, like this life is meaningful and purposeful. You need to live it out fully um, with hope, without despair, with faith, with loyalty, with hope. You know the deal. <laughs> but yes, like you live out this life and you carry out your duties and you live morally and you'll rise and you avoid the fall that comes with immorality, with failing to meet up to that, to failing to meet up to your expectations, to abandoning your responsibilities and to neglecting the authority that's been given to you and the authority that is above you, that is God. Um, living fully invested in now and forever. That's a good way of putting that because yes, you should be fully invested in the life you're living now, in the battles you're facing right now, the trials, the challenges, the hardships, the victories, everything that is happening to you now in this life and going forward in this life is something you should be fully invested in. That should be your purpose is living that out to the best of your ability, giving Living for the glory of God, trying to be a kingdom builder and building God's kingdom, which is your purpose here, one way or another. And yeah, you are putting your life with, with your neighbors, with your family, and with your relationships for a reason. And yeah, you have a defined purpose. Live it out. Walk it out. Carry on, brother. Keep crushing. <laughs> keep walking forward into your destiny and keep crushing, my dude. <laughs> right on that's gonna do it for me here tonight hope y'all learned a lot and had some fun thank y'all for your input for chiming in in the chat um instagram i'm probably not i should i might be on it next week but i'm not regularly here doing this instagram when i have clips and drops and stuff going on the stream if i'm a replays at all the places um you know the deal on all that yeah, hopefully you found some motivation and inspiration, learned a little bit from my ramblings here. Um, again, it's almost kind of like a part two coming next week, specifically about sexual immorality, sex stuff, relationship stuff, and purity stuff. We're getting, we're doing a deep dive into it because it's episode 69. I don't have to explain that. You, you're adults. You know what I mean. <laughs> you know it had to be done. Um, but yeah, this stream and next stream, shoot me comments, just all my streams, that, you know, in general, um, whenever you're watching them or this, shoot me comments, questions you have about them to my social media DMs. Um, you can get my Discord channel or my PO box in the show notes and send me letters or comments there, questions there. If you want to like debate me on stuff or just comment on it or ask me questions or ask for clarifications, feel free. Again, the links for all that stuff is in my show notes here on the video or the podcast where you're watching or listening to that. Links are on all the, as always, just go to Sean B. Planet. It has all my stuff, all my links. Explore that. Check everything out there. And until next week, 
Same time, same place, Monday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time, the one true time zone, 8 p.m. Monday nights. I'm live on DLive, YouTube, Trovo, and Twitter live if you follow my at NotSeanVPlanet Twitter account. I'm now using Twitter live there to stream. Trovo until they kick me off, and DLive and YouTube live Monday nights, 8 p.m. If you want to get in on these chats, um, do that. I'm going to look into getting on Odyssey soon as well. Um, i got to figure out how that works with my Restream. Twitch doesn't work ever, so I'm going to replace it with Restream, hopefully. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Odyssey. So, yeah, that seems to be where everyone's going. And, yeah, watch all the replays and all the stuff at all the places. You know, Rumble, YouTube, podcast places. You know the drill. You know the deal. I don't have to keep repeating it. Love y'all, truly. Have a great week out there. Make sure to seek the good, the true, and the beautiful at all times. Be good, do good, love, and be loved. I appreciate y'all, and I love y'all. Have a great week. Follow Sean on social media at SeanBPlanet. His podcast audio is on the Sean B. Planet channel on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. His videos are on YouTube and BitChute. Live streams on DLive and Twitch. Blogs, links, and other stuff can be found at SeanBPlanet.com.